Welcome. You're listening to the Gideon Warrior Radio Network. Look for us on TalkShoe.com. Type in keyword Gideon Warrior Network. And you can find us and other Israelite speakers at ChristianAmericanMinistries.com and AngloIsraelTruth.com. Please remember, your free will gifts and offerings help us to continue laboring in the vineyard. Please consider visiting our support page. We thank you for visiting our network and sites. It is our prayer you'll be edified by them. Here's the message, and thanks for listening. This message is the first in what I believe will be at least two messages, and possibly three, regarding baptism. Our beloved pastor articulated a firm command over the ordinance of baptism, so much so that one rarely needed to even think on it. Over the past year or so, I've been considering that it, it would do us well to revisit the institution of baptism and reacclimate ourselves with the significance that baptism should have upon our minds. I thought I'd begin by saying that if we believe the scriptures, then indeed Christ is our foundation, and as such, we should not become confused by controversies when we stand upon that foundation. Although there's a lot of material that I do want to cover, I'm going to try to slow things down a bit as I know that I often cram a lot into messages, mostly because the forum many times is such that there's a limited time available to cover a fairly significant quantity of information. When one begins to look at baptism, it seems to me that it would be important to look at one of the leading stories of baptism in the Bible, and that would be the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to refer to this as our example. The first thing that we should endeavor to understand is the scriptural record and the circumstances which are the foundation for Christ's baptism that we find in the scriptures. We're going to refer to it out of Matthew 3, where it's recorded there. Beginning with chapter thir- verse 13, rather, in chapter 3, and I quote, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John, to be baptized of him. Now let's stop there a moment. What is the unseen here? What's unseen that we don't think about when we read that scripture is Jesus is making a pilgrimage from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now he could have sent for John to come to him with words that certainly John would have perceived were only from the mouth of the Messiah. John, however, just prior to Jesus' arrival, is telling his hearers there, chapter 3, verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now let's continue with chapter 3, verse 14. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comes thou to me? Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. End quote. Now here was the situation. What was important was not the character, not the qualifications, not even the worthiness of the man, the administrator of the baptism, but rather the institution or the ordinance of baptism. 
And John, frankly, if you're honest with the scriptures, was repulsed at the thought. Scripture says that he forbade him. In other words, he said, no, no, I can't do this. Christ says, ah, ah, it must needs be so to fulfill all righteousness. See, when we do become baptized believers, we do our duty in righteousness. John knew that his need to be baptized of Christ was greater than anything that he could think of in his life. And he says, he come now to me? But Christ here exemplifies that he does it not out of need. He's spotless. But why? Out of obedience to the will and the righteousness of the Father. He's now about 30 years of age. It would do us well, I think, to take a look at the master-servant relationship that we see in John 12:26. Let's go there quickly. John chapter 12, verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now I think that's very significant, because what we have here is just like the father and son relationship. It's what binds them, that obedience. If you're serving me, he says, then follow me wherever I am. There you also should be. So if Christ was at the River Jordan for baptism, we should follow him. I don't think that that means we need to follow him to the River Jordan, but we follow the example. That's that master-servant relationship. We are told it. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5, our spiritual acts, what our spiritual acts are also supposed to be, or our spiritual relationship. Let's go there quickly. Let's begin with verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see, we cannot revenge all disobedience until our obedience is fulfilled. Walking in all his commands requires obedience all his commands. So in the performance of this duty of baptism, there are several clues to the form of the administration. The first thing we see in the scriptural record here, we'll go back to Matthew 3 and we'll begin at 16. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. End of quote. What do we see in this scripture? You cannot go up out of the water without having first been down in the water. What should be understood happening here at the end of this scripture is the Father's acceptance. This is our first clue regarding the form and the manner of baptism. 
We'll talk more, a little bit more about immersion and sprinkling a little bit later on in the message. But what should be understood happening here also is that there is the Father's acceptance. The heavens were opened and they are open now to you through baptism in like obedience. What we should also see and understand happening here is obviously the Father's acceptance. And this is no different than any one of us in a father-son or parent-child relationship. What we see happening when we are satisfied with the obedience of the child as parents, our arms are open, the heavens are open, the doors are open, whatever this child could ask of us, we would grant because there's been that fulfilled obedience. And these heavens that were opened, they're opened now to us through like obedience in baptism. And we're told that the Spirit descended. Now, let's run to Acts 2.38. This is what tells us exactly what is available to us. And what is available to us is not necessarily ours yet. But the deficiency arises only because of a lack of true repentance and faith in and obedience to the will of the Father. This is what makes God well pleased. Christ had no sin to repent of himself, but he repented of my sins and your sins. He had the faith in God to perform his will through him, and by his obedience it was completed. This spirit is exactly what Acts 2.38 tells us is available to us. But I want to caution us. What is available to us is not necessarily ours yet. The deficiency arises only because of a lack of true repentance and faith in and obedience to the will of the Father. This is what makes God well pleased. Christ had no sin to repent of himself, but he repented of my sins and your sins. He had the faith in God to perform his will through him, and by his obedience it was accomplished. Romans 6.17 says that it is from the heart that we obey. And this is our Father into whom we are baptized in the name of the Father. We need to get that down. We have taken on the Father's name. Now many of you know from your own parents that your father's name is somewhat sacred. And he doesn't like it when you tarnish his name. He's built a reputation out there. And he doesn't want the son tarnishing the father's name. So this is in whom we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our act of obedience and baptism honors this trinity of God. And the book of Luke records a salient point of the obedience now do the Son. Let's go to Luke 9.39. Correction. Luke 9.35 And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. So, I ask, are we to ignore him here? I say, it will be to our peril. 
This is what I believe so witness to the early Christians. They acknowledged this Father and the Son as one because the whole purpose was for God to come in the flesh to redeem the divorced and cut off of Jeremiah 3.8. This is the good news that they received and that they began to understand and acknowledge from the scriptures. Now since he was not going to dwell with them forever, having to lay down his life to free them from the bond of marriage, he did promise them that Holy Spirit. And you contact the Holy Spirit through obedience to the baptismal command. This is our example. The next thing I think we should look at is the command itself. And the scriptural text for this part of the message would be Matthew 28:18-20. When the disciples were visited by Christ after his resurrection, he gives them a specific command. And I quote, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Matthew 28, 19-20 Now the word ghost as used here, reading it out of the King James Version, is a it's interesting. It, it's actually derived from an old Saxon uh, form in, in the translation. And it's equivalent of soul or spirit. It's uh, translated from the Hebrew word nephesh and the Greek word pneuma. And both of these words refer to breath, life, spirit, and the living principle. I thought that was real interesting. You see the the principle is reflected in scriptures such as Matthew twenty seven fifty and John nineteen thirty in the New Testament and Jeremiah fifteen nine and Job eleven twenty in the Old Testament. Perhaps we can have a little larger discussion on that later on in the message on, on the Holy Spirit. Concerning the command, let's go to Acts chapter one verse twelve. We are told by Luke, he's the presumed writer of Acts, that he made a treatise of those things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And at verse 2, he tells us, quote, He was taken up after that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles, end quote. So it's clear and evident that this command to baptize believers in Matthew 28:19 would indeed be one of those commands that were given. Makes sense? So let's take a look now at the foundation for the authority of the commands. That foundation we're going to find at Isaiah 54:5. And I'll begin. For thy maker is thy husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the redeemer, the holy one of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. Verse 7. For a small moment I have forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me. Chapter 55, verse 4. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people 
a leader and a commander to the people. End quote. You see, when the believer manifests obedience to the commands of the commander, we shall enjoy his most awesome blessings. Let's go to Revelation 22:14 to reveal it. And I quote, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life. Ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you that this should be our perspective when we claim our, quote, God-given rights. You see, we have a right to the tree of life. We have a right to this life. We have a right to a life unfettered. We have a right to a life without oppression. This is that right to that tree of life. Now, our commander's commands, they're not grievous. Matthew 11:29 and 30 tells us that. We won't go there now. Certainly Galatians 5:1 as well. But let's go to what David tells us at Psalms 19. Quote, These commands are perfect, enlightening to the eyes. They are true and righteous, sweeter than honey, more desired than gold. And by them is the servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Let's remember, this all has to do with who is our commander, which we've already established by Scripture, and as it pertains to the command. But in order for one to gain access, Revelation 22.14 says that we must enter through the gates into the city. Now I want to ask you a question. And I've been thinking a lot about this as I began this study for these messages on baptism. And when you're talking about people with baptism, and about baptism, and about being baptized, I've embarked now on a question. And the question is, Consider, if you will, for a minute, if an angel appeared to you in whatever manifestation, a bright light, a, a, a distinct vision, whatever it is, and immediately says, Arise and go, why tarry, and be baptized. How quickly will you find water? See, that's the question that I'm now putting before people because the time is now, and that is going to start that revival. God will bring about that revival when we start becoming more obedient to the command. And this is one of those commands that's very important and it brings about a humbleness and obedience and a binding to the servant-master relationship. And I think it's very important. So why is it that that person will respond to that question and say, I'm gone. I'm like out of here. I've already been to the water and back. That's how quickly he's going to find water. But when you see it in the words and our commander Jesus Christ commands it, it's ignored. Why? Well, we'll have to try to answer that later. But Jesus explicitly tells us the weight or the extent of his command as he conveys his authority to give the command. And let's go to that weight. That's at Matthew 28, verse 18. And I quote, All power in heaven and earth is given to me. End quote. This command, go, teach, and baptize, was a command with fear. These apostles and the early believers saw a man raised from the dead, a holy son. <laughs> Did they fear man? 
I don't think in the least bit. I think these people were motivated by what they had witnessed and what they had seen. And we have that same thing. Remember that we're told in Scripture that blessed are they who don't see these things and yet do them. I was thinking about how it, at Acts 5.19, the Redeemer commanded the angel of the Lord to open the prison doors and bring the prisoners out, the apostles, commanding them to stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And I ask you, if the angel commanded you to do this, what are you going to do? Well, for an answer to that, this is exactly what Peter did. And the other apostles answered, quote, We ought to obey God rather than men. And this is the essence of the command. When the command is given and the obedience follows, this is who you obey. And that's the essence of the command. Now, Pastor brought to our mind the centurion and how he understood authority when he says to one go, he goes. And when he says to another, he comes. And Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith when he humbled himself as being not worthy of Jesus coming under his roof and just said, say the word. Well, Jesus tells us each and every one of us as believers, go, teach, and baptize. The pastor did it through this ministry time and time and time again. He gave the acres of diamond men a, a forum in which to come and bring messages go teach and baptize he brought you solutions go teach and baptize talk about the things talk about the scripture bring men to the table all the years of his ministry he wanted to have that sweet fellowship didn't want to carry the load alone but he carried it but then he realized something that he did have some acres of diamond he said it himself they helped him a lot and brought him a lot of things to his mind, brought him a lot of good thoughts to bring a lot of good messages. But again, before one can reap the benefits of baptism, there is a precedent principle required, and that is to be taught and for someone to teach. If we do not teach before we baptize the baptized will not worship the commander in truth and in spirit the word teach as used in Matthew 28 20 is number 31 in strong 3100 in strongs and it's from 3101 it means teach instruct disciple to be one's disciple to following precepts and instruction see scripture bears witness of this order expressed in the command at John 4 1 and I quote when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John I'm gonna stop there end of the quote you see what it was happening here when you read the sentence for context and structure it is Jesus had made more disciples and Jesus had baptized more disciples therefore to make a disciple 
one needs to teach or instruct in the precepts and commands of the commander. Now I'd like to pause and say something about our beloved Pastor Peters. He was teaching us to be disciples. Every individual which has been baptized by him was taught of him. You are now duty bound to go, teach, and baptize. Now here's supposition on my part. I believe he desired this outcome. I believe it is why he embraced the Acres of Diamond to come and bring messages, brought solutions for you to come and fellowship, bringing men to the table to teach, baptize. According to John 4.1, we are commanded to make disciples and then baptize. And I believe this is the proper distinction to be conveyed for a believer to be baptized. I want to remind all of us, our example was baptized at the age of 30. Now I'll admit, this is a little conjecture on my part here, so you can disregard it if you wish. I believe the father was teaching the son. I believe he was teaching John the Baptist also. And their disciple apprenticeship, if you will, was now concluded. And this is why I believe this. Matthew 3.17 This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Second witness that, Matthew 17.5 This is after or upon the occasion of his transfiguration. And it says, quote, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. This word here is number 191. It says, Give ear to a teacher or teaching. Comprehend, understand. And I believe it's absolutely abundantly clear. Christ was well versed, as it's sometimes said, in the precepts and the principles of God's commands and will. Enough said on my supposition. Take it for what you will. Let's continue analyzing the command so we can fully comprehend and understand it as the scripture has admonished us to do. The next thing we should look at, I think, is the scope of the command. The scripture says, teach all nations and baptize them. So this means to go everywhere. Teach, and when they have been properly instructed or taught the precepts of God, baptize them. God wants a contrite heart and an obedient soul. As Israelites, we have no salvation as being of Abraham. We were granted redemption, but we still must believe and be obedient to the will of the commander. Now at this point here, I think we'll conclude on this part of the message on baptism. We have covered the example Jesus Christ and we've covered the command. We'll go into greater detail on the scope and the form of baptism as we continue in the message on baptism. With that ladies and gentlemen I would like to say it is with fond remembrance of Pastor Peters and his fight of faith that I remain thankful for this opportunity to minister under the children of the new covenant as Hebrews 8.8 informed us of. This is Doug Nelson, trusting you will hear these words one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant.